0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 199 of Allied Strategies. My name is Tristan. Joining me, as always, is my friend Sam. Hello. And not joining us this week, for the second week in a row, is our so-called host friend Benjamin, uh, who's busy doing something much more important, I'm sure. Um, Actually, I guess he's getting ready for the tournament and flying around places and something like that. I don't know. I, I wasn't really paying attention when he was telling me what he was doing instead of coming on the show
1: yeah it was really boring. He said a bunch of stuff, but who can really remember it all? Mm-hmm.
0: um but I'm sure if some listeners can probably fact check us and figure out exactly where he is, it really doesn't matter though the main thing that is that he's not here and it's cause for celebration. Uh, do among... you think we could
1: trick him into sharing his like location with us on his phone and then we could post that in the show notes? ooh yeah so then listeners really could fact check it yeah i bet I bet what what the world really needs is
0: just to always know Ben's location at all times um you could then, you know, go and surprise him by using the words ambivalent and indifferent incorrectly. That'll really uh, rustle his jimmies.
1: Yeah, so get get some good, like, just go near him and have loud conversations about exponential growth. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that'll get him. That'll get him.
0: Especially what, what you want to do is you want to use it correctly the first time to give him a glimmer of hope. Uh, that's what I like to do sometimes is I'll, I'll use exponential correctly so that he thinks that I'm, like, you know, paying attention and engaged and I finally learned. And that makes it all the more heartbreaking for him when i then use it incorrectly the next time
1: i love it that's mm-hmm. exactly
0: right um so besides spending presumably most of the episode just you and i riffing off uh making fun of benjamin which really is to be expected when you come when you put the two of us
1: uh, in front of microphones and, and don't have benjamin here to check us it's it's weird that he didn't object to us doing the show this week actually <laughs> when you think about it so i kind of think it's on him yeah <laughs>
0: Uh, good, good. We've <laughs> in about ten seconds. We've come back to uh, ripping on Benjamin. Perfect. Um, this week, we're going to talk about the decks you're considering for the modern Pro Tour that's coming up. That'll be so. This this is being recorded a little bit in advance because, of course, you'll be busy the week before the Pro Tour itself. So uh, we're about ten days before the Pro Tour. A little bit more. Yeah, ten days. Ten days before the Pro Tour. Um, so we'll talk about which decks you've been considering and stuff in this episode. Uh, and then we'll be back with our regular, much less delayed content for episode 200, which will be next week. So that's really exciting. Oh
1: wow, um, 200,
0: 200 episodes. I
1: a, yeah, I have a 200 episode streak of not listening to this show. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> that is pretty incredible. Yeah.
0: You know, I don't think I I, I I listen to some other podcasts, and I don't think anybody listens to their own podcasts. Um, although I do kind of I do kind of hope that Benjamin will listen to this podcast when he's not on it. Um, it seems kind of unlikely because it'll launch at the exact same time as it'll be, like, the middle of the Pro Tour season. Like, it'll, it'll be—this episode will come out Thursday morning. Uh, Thursday
1: morning in the U.S., which is going to be, like, Thursday afternoon. In, yeah, so— It'll be, like, the night before the Pro Tour. If he might chooses, be able to get him to download it for the plane ride. For the plane, plane home, yeah,
0: yeah. That's It's possible that he'll get to listen to it then. Uh, it's possible that he'll be a Pro Tour champion and just listening to us making fun of him. And you know, just laughing his his butt off. But
1: I mean, it's also possible that like a meteorite crashed into the Earth. But you know, well, we... that has at it's... least happened before. So there's I guess that's more true. evidence. Yeah, that yeah that it, it just is feels possible. weird that you're bringing up very remote possibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs>
0: so yeah, we'll we'll talk with Benjamin. We'll talk that that'll be next week. Uh, first though, let's let's roll right along uh, to our illustrious friend and good friend thanking section of the podcast. Uh, those illustrious friends are Matt Brett. Kiki Jiki and Winchester, and the good friends are Adam, Matt, Britton, Kyle, Caroline, Eric, Zach, Sam, Duncan, Baptiste, Ari, Wilson, Tobias, and Will. Uh, And of course, if you've added yourself to that list recently, uh, since this episode is being reasonably pre-recorded, you'll start to hear your name uh, starting next week with episode 200. By the way, if you're looking for a a good time to start supporting the show, you know episode 200—that's a nice round number. uh, If you'd like to help turn some of your money into our money, Uh, but one perk of that is that you then get to ask patreon questions of the week and we have uh some more questions here from winchester uh multiple short questions here so we can kind of rapid fire these ones uh or spend some time on the ones where we have more to say uh so he asks do you guys ever talk to other creators for example the professor saffron olive etc or do you mostly talk with other pros so uh which like magic people that people would know about do you talk with uh, on a regular basis sam
1: I mean, I obviously I talked to like Matt and BK and Luis and Raptor, all the those are all the people who live here in Denver who I would say play uh, and Corey Burkhart and uh, Ben Lundquist and Conley Woods. Those are the people who I, I speak to regularly who produce magic content and are uh, there. I would describe them more as pros than content creators like. The reason that I think the reason that people are mostly interested in hearing what they have to say about magic is because they are very good, not because they like are making you know particular. I guess Conley is a little different, but like making oddball (laughs) decks. Harsh. (laughs) Um. But yeah, generally like those are the people I talk. I I generally speak to people. I generally talk more to people who are on the side of like trying to win at tournament magic, as opposed to people who are. Trying to create youtube videos or twitch stream or things like that and obviously there's a lot of overlap there Like Luis does a lot of streaming and makes videos matt makes videos and does streaming as well But I would say their primary focus and the thing that drives them in magic is trying to win in tournaments uh, as compared to like the professor or Saffron olive who I think are trying to you know, they're doing more of like a self-expression thing and trying to Create content for for different reasons. So Yeah, they're trying to be, you know, uh, entertaining and
0: create, you know, exciting content that is, uh, like, the tournament success isn't a a required part of that formula
1: for them. And it's pretty clear to regular listeners of the podcast that that is not a goal that myself or Ben, and presumably you, have. (laughs) Yeah, it's really unclear what goals, if any, I have. Um, Yeah, it's it's hard to say.
0: (laughs) uh, Yeah, I I certainly... uh, I, I, most of the magic people I talk with are you and Benjamin on a on a weekly basis. Although I do also interact with a few others from time to time, uh, although often in like non magic spheres. So uh, also I also have very little interaction with the the professors and the saffron olive types. Uh, although I do from time to time enjoy watching their content, and uh, I think it's fantastic. So.
1: Yeah, I like watching like the Professor's sleeve reviews. I, I think those are pretty fun. Yeah. Oh, I recently
0: watched my uh, a friend, an old roommate of mine, Daniel Wong, who is uh, famous for you know top aiding multiple magic, multiple modern GPS with taking turns, quadruple sleeved, uh, quadruple sleeve taking turns deck. I recently watched a YouTube video of his that he created, uh, which was a tutorial on how to quadruple sleeve a deck. Um, so that was a fantastic you know seven minute YouTube video that uh, was very eye opening to me.
1: Yeah, that sounds topical and useful to the average uh, mm-hmm. the average player. Absolutely, um, and then
0: okay, Winchester has another little question here. Are we excited, slash neutral, or disappointed uh, for the official release of the London Mulligan? So, what are your thoughts about London Mulligan? Just I guess sent, sentimental. What, what's your sentiment on the London Mulligan?
1: Uh, I'd say I'm kind of neutral on it. I think I think it is an improvement for limited. I don't really think in Limited it will change win percentages all that much. It will a little bit. Like, I think it's still a huge disadvantage to Mulligan in Limited, but I think the games will be more satisfying when you do. Like, you probably will still be way behind, because Limited is just so much about raw card quantity. Um, But you'll at least... Be more likely to interact and like maybe the thing that will cause you to lose is that you're behind a card on turn 8 and you end up losing because of that but that's that's so different of a feeling from missing your second land drop because you just have to keep any 6 card in hand so I'm excited for it there in standard again kind of ambivalent um, it seems like uh, it's probably an upgrade there like you'll have fewer games where you mulligan really low and have a non-game um, and then I think in modern legacy And I I don't really play vintage, but vintage, it's, it's probably a slight net downside for me. Um, but it's not, it's not really that bad and it's not that different. Um, so yeah, I I don't know. I'm, I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'll just take what they deal me and whatever the mulligan is, whatever the mulligan rule is, I'll be happy enough to play with it. And this one sounds, sounds fine to me. Yeah.
0: So not going to fundamentally change magic for you. So pretty neutral for that reason.
1: Yeah, I'd say that's my position. Okay,
0: makes sense. Yeah, I, I'm, I guess neutral slash excited about it because I mostly engage with you know limited uh, as as my format of choice. So uh, I mostly only play the format where it's uh, the best. You know, yeah, I, th- I think that's
1: where it will play the best.
0: So I'm I'm you know happy about it for that reason, but uh, I could I could certainly see the arguments for why it might be a slight drawback in the older formats. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'd I basically never mulligan anyway because I, I try to just only draw good hands uh, of seven cards. So it doesn't really affect me too much.
1: It is also exciting to me just trying new things. Like, even if, like, let's say that it makes modern a little bit worse overall, but for the first, like, six months to a year of it, because there's, like, new things you can do, it makes it feel more exciting and fresh that might still be like interesting enough for me that I would be fine with doing it, you know? Yeah.
0: And kind of the, like the game designer slash person who tries to break formats or that you are is always excited when there's a rules change like this.
1: Yeah. Anytime the things are in flux is, is a relatively exciting period for me, I would say.
0: Yeah. So that's, uh, there's some excitement from that, even if it is a, you know, drawback in the absolute, in absolute terms. Um, Okay. Cool questions, cool questions from Winchester. thanks for all those. Um, Let's advance to our flagship segment, Card of the Week,
1: Benjamin's favorite. Uh, Sam, what is your Card of the Week? Uh, My Card of the Week this week is Leyline of Abundance. Leyline of Abundance is a 4-mana green enchantment with the Leyline text. so if it's in your opening hand, you can start with it in play. And it has, whenever you tap a creature for mana, add an additional green, and... Six green green, so eight mana total. Put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. And this card has really stuck out to me in modern testing. We've we've been playing a ton with it, and I'll get to a deck with it later in the show. Um, but just a proactive ley line is so different from the other ley lines they've done, or at least one that's actually powerful. They have, they have like, ley line of the meek, I think, that, like, tokens get plus one plus one ley line. Isn't that the white one from original Ravnica. That sounds right, uh, yeah. That kind of sucks. Yeah, Ley Line of Anticipation
0: is like kind of a thing that does something proactive-ish.
1: It's kind of proactive, but also like... Flash is, I guess, a reactive thing. Right, Flash is kind of inherently reactive. So getting Mm -hmm. to do like something where you're really enacting your own game plan based around this Ley Line is a really different experience and something I I found really powerful. So I'm excited to play with this card and... I can guarantee that... I'm not sure that I'm going to play it at the Pro Tour, but I can guarantee that we're going to play it in the Team Modern Super League. Um, I, I think that's almost 100% at this point. So that, that's pretty cool. And I, I'm excited to see that sort of design space used a little more.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a, a cool direction for Modern um, to help you have like move your deck in an, towards an identity, like being the, the Leyland Abundance identity. Pretty cool. All right, Ben's card of the week is Abandon Hope. Abandoned Hope is X, one, and a black for a sorcery that says as an additional cost to cast this spell, discard X cards. Look at target opponent's hand and choose X card from it. That player discards those cards. Uh, so wh- why do you think Ben's card of the week is Abandoned Hope, Sam?
1: Um, Well, he's abandoned the show, mm-hmm. so that makes some sense. And also, I think he's kind of just on autopilot right now, and Abandon Hope happens to be the top result when you're using, like, a Pithing Needle or anything like that in uh in a format where it's legal, which I guess is modern or vintage or legacy or vintage. So, I think that's just where where Ben is at right now. He is he has abandoned the show and abandoned hope.
0: Yeah, that that seems like it. Absolutely. My card of the week is
1: our market research shows that
0: players like really long card names, so we made this card to have the absolute longest card name ever, elemental. Uh, our market research shows that players like really long card names, so we made this card to have the absolute longest card name ever. Elemental is a one green green two two elemental, obviously, and it has art rampage two, which says whenever this creature becomes blocked by a creature, it gets plus two plus two for each creature in the blocker's art beyond the first. Uh, so a pretty fun little thing there. Uh, of course, from the unhinged set, uh, and my thing with this card of the week is okay. So you know when we were, when I was recording the show with Neil uh, last week. Um, I was, you know, we were on the call and I I was typing in something somewhere. So Neil heard me typing for like a minute and he was like, oh, are you picking out your card of the week? Is it this card? Um, And I was like, no, it's not. And I picked Matzah Changeling, a card that was, you know, all about Neil and, and stuff. But it gave me a good idea, which was to use this card as my card of the week. And one interesting thing that I've noticed about it is that there's some kind of inconsistency, I think, with the capitalization of the words in here. So that, like our market research shows that the that there is capitalized, but then later on, this, the, uh, two are all not capitalized. So I, I, I guess I'm just kind of, it's kind of weird to me that that is a, a word that's capitalized and so is capitalized, but this, two, and the aren't. It seems like those are all kind of in the same class of, uh, of words. So uh, it, really, it really made me think, and that's why I chose it to be my card of the week.
1: It's making me look for hidden messages in the card, like... If you put all the capital letters in a row, or all the yeah, lowercase, it, if something and, and happens, maybe, maybe but there's but I'm some like seeing...
0: grammatical rule. Like maybe this is consistent. Maybe there's some rule that like that and so are to be capitalized, whereas two and the and this aren't. But um, I, it's just it's bizarre to me. It's that's that's the most bizarre thing to me about this card.
1: Yeah, it's very strange. I don't, I don't know what to make of it. I also don't like rampage very much. It's a very confusing mechanic. When I was a kid. I had a lot of cards from Legends that had Rampage, and I really did not understand them at all. I didn't get it. Really? I still kind of don't get it, but...
0: Rampage is just, for each creature beyond the first blocking it, it gets bigger, right?
1: Yeah. Hmm. So, and that that was confusing for you? Well, I didn't understand why you wanted it like it's not very double blocks don't happen very often. Okay, you, and... so you
0: you're just like why why have they keyworded this this effect that comes up in like 10% of games and it's pretty easy to it is pretty ignorable for most most times.
1: Well, yeah, and also like your opponent got to know I, the the way that little kid me felt about it was like they know that my guy's going to get bigger, they're not going to double block.
0: Right, which is pretty true. You you rarely see rampage trigger.
1: Yeah, that's that's the issue that I have with it. It's like it feels like an ability, but it's that never actually comes into play.
0: Yeah, that, I think that's actually fair. I think that's a very fair complaint to have about Rampage, and I think Rampage kind of is one of those like ten keywords that they made that was not a good keyword uh, and would have been would like would have made sense just as a, an ability on one card maybe, uh, and then someone in there.
1: It's better than bands with others, which is another keyword from Legends. So I guess they did something right.
0: Yeah, banding, uh, we could have... <laughs> there, there are a lot of complaints that one could have about banding. about banding. I'm not B- talking bands about banding. with bands others, bands with, with other
1: green legends, you know. It's a whole um, different can of worms.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, entire, the entire thing there, which we'll not get into. Uh, what we will get into is modern. Uh, so this Pro Tour coming up is a modern constructed with Modern Horizons draft. Uh, we will not talk about Modern Horizons draft for this show, although I assume you've been doing some practice prepping for that format.
1: Yeah, um, I feel like we've covered Modern Horizons draft pretty well on our previous shows. Um, my opinions haven't really changed a ton. It feels as if the format has shifted some, like other people are not drafting white now very much uh, on, in, the, in the Magic Online queues. So maybe there's an opportunity there. Uh, hard to say, because I think white is still the worst color by a lot, but maybe... Maybe it's still fine if you if you end up getting to scoop up all of the premium white commons, maybe you'll do okay. Um, so that's kind of something that I'm trying to investigate. But I think we covered it pretty well in other shows.
0: Yeah, interesting that. Uh, so our last episode, Neil Neil's thesis was that white was the worst color by far in M20 as well. So interesting that there's kind of two sets in a row where that may be the case.
1: I would say even three. I think it was pre, it was the worst set, color in War of the Spark as well. That was sort of what the the general consensus was, if I recall interesting interesting yeah
0: actually now that i think about it like going back the past five years i could think of a couple of sets where white was like clearly the worst color um like m14 wasn't it where white was completely unplayable um
1: oh was that the the divination format yeah the
0: divination format where like car the, there were like sarah angel style cards that people weren't picking
1: yeah i do remember that opportunity was like yeah, there were there were just a... I remember Mono Blue was kind of the thing in that format. Like, you could just play a really a really good Mono Blue deck with just Commons and uncommons. Yeah, Elixir like of Immortality and staff of, of,
0: staff of the Mind Matches were both playable cards.
1: Uh, yeah, that was a weird format. Mm-hmm, definitely
0: a weird format. I guess maybe I can't think of any other formats where White was awful between then and now. So maybe it's just a, a new thing that's been building up for them. I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to keep our eye on it. Maybe there's something fundamentally... Uh, wrong with white in terms of how they're designing limited right now though so if we see if we keep seeing that trend that's something to keep our eye on anyways limited is not what we'll be talking about we will be talking about modern uh, so why don't you tell us like what what the top level difference between this modern format and previous modern formats is uh, if there is any or if this is just the same thing as always
1: this feels like a wild west modern format to me like since the previous pro tour there's been three sets m20 war of the spark which was out at the last modern Pro Tour, but not legal yet. So no one played with Karn to Fairy, Narset, any of those cards. Um so War of the Spark, M20, and Modern Horizons have really changed the way the format looks. There's a, like there's been a banning also. There's a lot of just super fast combo decks. Control got all these great tools with uh Force of Negation, Narset to Fairy. Uh the the colorless decks got Karn the Great Creator, which like has made me really reluctant to want to play an Artifact deck. There's just a lot of things that are different. Um, to the point where, like, last, last Pro Tour, I went 8-2 and two with Hardened Scales. That was, like, a really good record. I think the best record I've ever had in Constructed at a Pro Tour. And I am not even considering playing that deck at this Pro Tour.
0: Uh, wow. The format just feels so different now. And different in a way that you think Hardened Scales won't be at all well-positioned against?
1: Uh, yeah, my biggest concern there is Karn. Okay. the the great creator the 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 ch- like incidentally shutting off your walking ballistas ravagers etc is is a little much like I think I think Tron goes from a pretty good matchup to a pretty bad matchup when they add four car the great creator to their deck so I'm I'm not looking to play hardened scales
0: yeah and that last modern Pro Tour was uh one where like the uh the Tron was kind of a menace so. Uh, having a deck that was good against that made sense then. Do you, right. do you expect to see a lot of Tron here this time?
1: I, it's hard for me to say. I think Tron will be pretty popular. I think it's a pretty good deck. Um, one thing we've also seen is a resurgence in Eldrazi Tron Ooh. as sort of the Tron deck of choice. And I think it makes a lot of sense to me. I think that deck is better at using Karn the Great Creator because it's more, that deck is more able to play to the board in the early game before it gets Tron online. Like, Karn is really good if you have a bunch of other stuff in play and can protect it for a turn, you know, even if you just have Mattery Shapers to block with or whatever. Um, and then, you know, you, you get whatever super powerful thing. And that deck had a worse sideboard because it didn't actually have any colored cards in it. It didn't play, it didn't get to play any Nature's Claims or Thrag Tusks or anything like that. So giving up a bunch of sideboard cards for a Karn Wishboard is a little less costly, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chalice of the Void has kind of moved back into, I think, being a well-positioned card, which is one of the hallmarks for me as far as when, El- when Eldrazi Tron is good, is when Chalice on one on the play is a powerful thing to be doing against your opponents. That That's usually a really good sign for Eldrazi Tron's playability. What type of things are you trying to hit with Chalice on one? uh so so phoenix is very soft to it the hogak deck if that ends up sticking around obviously there's been a banning um but as we'll get to later i think i think hogak is still a pretty real player um there's just a lot of one drops running around right now that i think i think are susceptible to uh to to being chaliced infect, you know just a lot of stuff
0: all right, you mentioned uh, there the, the Phoenix strategy, which I remember after after the banning, there was a lot of rumbling about how Phoenix was going to be a clear tier one strategy in the format. Do you think that's fair? And if so, are you considering playing that deck?
1: I'm not really, but I don't really have a good reason for it. I think Phoenix is... I, if I had to pick a deck right now, you know, 10 days before the Pro Tour to be the most popular at the Pro Tour, I think Phoenix would be my pick. Um... It was the most popular at the Star City event. I believe the Team the Team Star City it was... I think it was the most popular. Um, and it didn't get hit by the Bannings. Has a lot of... Got got some new tools in Aria of Flame, Magmatic Sinkhole, Narset, Force of Negation. These are all great cards that fit really well in the strategy. Lava Dart as well. Um, <clears throat> you know, just picked up a lot of stuff. And I expect it to be very well represented. I, again... Maybe by the time the Proto rolls around, things will have changed. Right now, I feel like we have a couple of options that I prefer to it, but I definitely respect it a lot.
0: And those options that you prefer to it, are are you going to try and do you feel that they're favorable matchups against it as well if you're expecting it to be popular?
1: I hope so. (laughs) That's that's one thing that needs to be nailed down for sure, but I I hope by the time we get to that point, they will be. All right, so let's start off
0: here with the Leyline of Abundance strategy that you were teasing with your card of the week. Uh, what kind of deck is built around Leyline of Abundance for you, and uh, what are the reasons that you're considering playing it?
1: So the deck that we've been working on, this is a, a Matt Nass idea, is Leyline of Abundance with one mana one mana mana creatures that tap for both green mana and blue mana. So birds of, um, of paradise and noble <clears throat> hierarchy. Birds the... of paradise and noble Hierarch are the two, and then we've also we also have Arbor Elf along with utopia sprawl as a way to have a creature that i know it doesn't i get it doesn't work with Leyline line of abundance but does tap for blue and green mana if you have the utopia sprawl going um and then you play those alongside freed from the real which is a kind of obscure old card from oh, um, from Gala sets. oh. It's, a th- it's a three mana enchantment for blue and two and it has blue Tap enchanted creature or blue untap enchanted creature. So, if you have a leyline of abundance on turn one, and then a mana creature like a birds of paradise or a noble hierarch, turn two you tap your noble for two mana, a blue and a, a blue and a green, and your land that you played for a third played free from the real on the noble. Then play another play your second land, untap it for a blue mana, and you can generate infinite mana. And this is where it gets really spicy because Leyline of Abundance has this activated ability that lets you put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control, you just have a mana sink already. So you just make infinite mana, make an infinitely large guy, and attack with it.
0: So this is a turn two kill with two lands, one of which must produce blue, freed from the real, noble hierarch or birds of paradise, Ley Line of Abundance in the first seven, not the first eight, uh, and then your opponent's just dead. Dead on the second turn there.
1: And then there's some other nifty things you can do. One of the really powerful synergies with Leyline of Abundance is Dryad Arbor. Is a fetchable creature that taps for mana. Mm. So the the other thing that this deck is trying to do is be a uh currently the configuration we've been trying is a Karn um a uh, Karn the Great Creator deck. You can just go like turn like turn one Leyline you know, play a fetch pass, untap, you know, end of turn, crack it for a Dryad Arbor, untap, play a play a second fetch, crack it for a Dryad Arbor, and that's a turn three Karn. Or just like turn one mana Dork if you don't have the the Freed from the Real, turn one mana Dork, turn two Karn because your mana Dork taps for two. Um, there's a lot of ways to get really fast Karns. We've had some draws like in in testing where we've had double ley Line and then just a single Dryad Arbor and another land place Karn on turn two, and that can get out of control really quickly. Um, and then further in the mix, we, right now, this is the, the, I think the third part of the deck that we're least confident in is a finale of devastation, um, devoted druid package. So devoted druid, vizier of remedies, green finale as, uh, as some additional ways to both cast Karn ahead of schedule and, uh, just use generate infinite mana. Karn is also an infinite mana sink because you can just you can use it to tutor for Walking Ballista to kill. Ooh, uh, okay. And then we've also got Sylvan caryatid currently in the mix as a way to beat decks like Blue Red Phoenix that are trying to interact with you a bunch. Um, they're not that good at interacting with a Sylvan Karyatid, so if you just have a Ley Line play a Karyated, you get you get you can have a Hexproof creature that you can combo off with, with, with freed from the real.
0: Does that thing not have Defender, though, so it won't be able to...
1: It won't yeah, be it able won't to attack. attack. Yeah. So you have to find a different way to sink your mana. You need to have either Karn or... I mean, also you could just have other creatures that you play afterwards and then make it right. large. Yeah. And and against they, Phoenix, yeah, yeah. that's probably going to be good enough. Um, but if you have Karn or Finale, you can just kill on the spot. Okay. I see.
0: I like it. I like it. Okay. Uh, how much of uh, you know London Mulligan... Enab- how much of the, this deck do you think is enabled by the existence of the London Mulligan? Like, Are you, are you taking a lot of Mulligans to 6 or 5 to find that ley line?
1: You'd take a fair amount. I think this deck would probably be playable without the London Mulligan, but definitely is a big beneficiary from it. Okay.
0: And, and what sort of matchups are you most excited for or worried about with this uh, this one so far? Or is that something that you're going to determine over the next 10 days?
1: Well, the list is a little bit in flux still, certainly. We've had some trouble with Jund. That's something we're trying to solve. Like, they're a deck that's really good at picking apart your hand so they can take away your high impact, expensive cards like Karn. And they're really good at killing mana dorks. So, like, trying to fetch Dryad Arbors against them is going to be pretty tough. Ren and Six does does a lot of work against oh yeah that's a nasty
0: that's a nasty card against the cards you have mentioned so far
1: and they also play plague engineer which is really good against these against these mana dorks um so that's a matchup that i think we need to figure out and work on and if we can get that into a good place um you're really good against other decks that are trying to goldfish like i think you have a higher turn two kill rate than most other decks in the format and a lot of stability so like you know, Neoform is probably the, the most consistent turn two kill, um, but this this deck is a lot more resilient to random hate cards and things like that.
0: Yeah, and unlike Neoform, this deck has the potential to have a good turn three.
1: Right, exactly. Like, uh, there, there, there have been a fair amount of games we've played where you just play, like, a Mana Dork on turn one, a Devoted Druid on turn two, and then spend eight mana and use your Leyline on turn three, along with, like, a Dryad Arbor and you're just adding a bunch of power to your board every turn, and that's actually pretty powerful against some people.
0: Yeah, this is kind of a reminiscent of, like, Gavany Township Birthing Pod uh,
1: exactly, backup yeah, plan. Yeah, exactly that's
0: exactly the way that I think of it. Mm. Um, cool. That's uh, that's awesome. Uh, are you worried about seeing a lot of Jund at this tournament? Is that something that you're seeing as an upticking deck?
1: Yeah, Jund feels like it's on the rise right now. Ren and Six is a really, really, really strong card, so... I think that's definitely something to, that we need to be on the lookout for. Um, but so that like
0: devoted druid green finale package, do you think maybe the solution is going to be finding something in that slot that will instead play well against Jund?
1: Yeah, I think there might be that uh, Sylvan Carried or the, the Sylvan caryatid thing also is really strong. So like maybe if you combine that with Leyline of Sanctity, because Jund doesn't close out the game that quickly. So if you you know if you just start with a Leyline of Sanctity and a Leyline of Abundance or you know, either or, and then just know that you're going to be safe in building up your Sylvan Karyatid and trying to go infinite there, that might also be a viable path, I'm not sure.
0: Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, you could always uh, what, you could Karn wish for a, like, Warmonger's Chariot or whatever to get that thing in there?
1: I, I'll just stick to Walking Ballista, thanks.
0: Well, uh, you, okay, you're, that's your choice, I guess. Fine.
1: <laughs> Alright, speaking of Neoform...
0: Is there a, a Neoform variant that you're interested in potentially for this tournament?
1: So one thing we've been experimenting with now, this is in the very early stages, I would say, so less likely to pan out. Um, like the Leyline deck, I think we have a solid deck that I think is at least tier two. You know, we might, when we, as we work on it more, we might get it up to tier one. The Leyline, or the, the Neoform thing is a little more, uh, a little more new, but is just sort of a regular deck that tries to play magic that also happens to have Neoform for Gristlebrand or uh, maybe Craterhoof Behemoth is another thing we've been looking at. Um, So like right now we have a normal Devoted Druid combo deck that looks like it would have all the cards you would expect, you know, uh, Eladomri's Call, Devoted Druid, Vizier of Remedies, all that stuff. Uh, And then also happens to have the allosaurus rider into neoform gristlebrand combo so sometimes you just do that and that's a really powerful thing to do but your deck can also function in games where your opponent is playing with say force of negation you can just play a normal game and neoform can help you find your combo pieces as well you know it can it can turn a birds into a vizier of remedies or whatever you need so that's one route we're looking at another is uh Neoform in Hogak is something I'm interested in trying. There's a couple of great creatures to sacrifice in Hogak, like sacking a stitcher, turn one, Stitcher Supplier, turn two, sack it. We need to find a good two-drop to get, but I'm sure there is one. Um, is like, pretty strong. And the thing I'm really excited about is potentially sacrificing Hogak to go get Craterhoof Behemoth. Hmm. Because that deck puts a lot of random small creatures into play. So yeah, like Craterhoof by- by definition,
0: the turn after you played your Hogak, you're, you've are you got a board that's probably pretty, probably pretty hungry for a Crater Hoof Behemoth.
1: Exactly. Like, yeah, just turn one Stitcher Supplier, turn two Hedron Crab or Stitcher Supplier or whatever, get back one Bloodgast, cast Hogak. Next turn, if you get Crater Hoof Behemoth, that's 16 damage from the Crater Hoof trigger, five from the hoof itself, plus whatever you, you know, like, let's say you add a Bloodgast and a Hedron Crawl, a Bloodgast, a Hedron Crab, and a... Uh, and a Stitcher Supplier is your other three creatures, that's, uh, you know, an extra three, so that's 24 trample damage on turn three coming in. That's that's pretty potent.
0: Yeah, that sounds pretty game-winning uh, out of a deck that
1: presumably the,
0: the graveyard hate around the world is going to, you know, have died down at this tournament.
1: Yeah, I've, it's been funny, actually. I've been playing with just regular Hogak that I'll talk about in a second on Magic Online, and it feels like the graveyard hate has not yet died down. It feels like people are still using, you know, like lists from a week ago uh, and okay. still have like all their ley lines, all these surgical extractions, all these Nile spell bombs. Like I played against a Jund deck that had Nile spell bomb, surgical extraction, ley line of the void and, uh, and scavenging uses graveyard hate. And then like the Phoenix deck that had ravenous trap, ley line, surgical as graveyard hate. And I think that, over at the pro tour especially there'll be a little bit more of an equilibrium with that where people will have a little less graveyard hate than they do right now
0: okay yeah that definitely seems like a pretty hostile environment though to to practice the deck with on moto or whatever
1: yeah but that's the thing so so this is the, this is another deck that is i would say really high on my short list is just hogak without bridge and the the way that i've been trying right now is I've cut Bridge from Below, obviously, and Insolent Neonate, because without Bridge, Neonate's a lot less attractive, and added Hedron Crab and Prized Amalgam. And I think the thing that I'm doing differently than other people is I'm still playing with uh, Alter of Dementia. And I've been pretty impressed with Alter. I think it's still... I've still had a, a handful of mill kills. Like, it's not that hard to just generate enough Hogax that you can mill your opponent out. Um, and also, Prized Amalgam... Is really good with sack outlets. There's there's a little trick you do where like if you're returning two prized amalgams on your end step, after the first one returns, you get to sack it to the to the altar for free because the second one's going to return and then trigger it again. If that makes sense.
0: <laughs> yes, that does that does make sense. That's, and then you'll get it in your good, yeah. opponent's
1: end step, so you basically get like infinite prized amalgams out of that, if you know if if you want. Um, and you know you still have turns where you play like a couple of dorks on turn one and two and then play a Hogak and then you have 15 power on turn two and that just happens on the regular still. So I, I'm not sure that, that Hogak is as dead as people might think it is. Yeah, it, it may be one of these cases where like the metagame share of, of
0: hate for the deck goes down by more than the deck got hurt by the banning of Bridge from Below.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that, I think that's that's a very good way to put it. Um, so it may end up being
0: and you know, obviously the, the format, there's no way the format will support as many Hogak players as it did before, but uh, those who do still play Hogak may see more success than uh, previous Hogak players did.
1: Right. And there's a lot of options to try now too. Like one thing I've noticed is without bridge, the deck feels a little more susceptible to sweepers. So I want to try out Dregscape Zombie as a way to rebuild if uh, if you get your board swept. That's a one mana or it's a two mana two one that's a zombie that has unearthed one so it if, if you get swept and you know you have nothing you have no way to rebuild you can play that you can you can unearth this to get to be able to play grave crawlers from your graveyard to get back your prized amalgams and trigger your venge vines and get back you know re, recast hogax um, so that's that's on my list of of ideas to try and then also this this neoform thing that I was talking about so yeah, it sounds like, like there's a couple spot. different
0: couple different versions of neoform that uh and i guess a couple of different versions of hogak the ones either by themselves or with the other okay yeah definitely let's talk about urza uh you have listed here urza combo what is this deck
1: uh so this is another deck that's pretty new on the scene um that plays urza lord high artificer alongside the thopter sword combo um and typically Goblin Engineer and tries to assemble Thopter Sword plus Urza at the same time, which is uh, an instant kill because you get to tap the Sword of the Meek, sack, to make a blue mana, sack the Sword of Thopter Foundry, which ends up getting you a token, and then you just keep doing that over and over again. Um, so you get infinite life, infinite tokens, and because you also every time are generating an untapped... Thopter token, you also are just at plus one mana, so you can then use Urza infinite times, uh, so if there's any problem stuff going on, you know, you can, you can find a Pithing Needle or whatever thing you need to win, um some versions of the deck also play one Grinding Station, which is a way to kill your opponent with non-combat damage, so you know, if you need to, if for whatever reason you need to win that turn, you can do so um, and this is sort of a toolbox deck. Goblin Engineer is a really really strong card, along as is Urza. Um, you know, you get to play a bunch of one ofs that you can tutor with it. Arkham's Astrolabe is a new card that this deck takes pretty good advantage of. It's a it's a snow deck, um, and you get to use uh, so you get to use some of the snow cards in the sideboard in Dead of Winter and Arkham's Astrolabe in the main deck as just sort of a better Chromatic Star. You know, you get the card right up front. It works through Stony Silence and Rest in Peace. It just always works, hmm. uh, or at least you always get the card. You know, obviously through Stony Silence you can't float mana off it, but that's not the biggest deal. Right, you're not using it, using its filter
0: or whatever, all that often. Yeah. yeah. Although and I guess it he, does help with uh, Goblin Engineers and stuff going on.
1: Yeah, it, it, if you're fetching basics, it, it you do often want to use it because Thopter Foundry, you know, has that weird cost, and yeah. Goblin Engineer, you know, fights against that a little bit. But, for the most part, your, your mana works pretty well, because a lot of your cards are colorless. Mm-hmm. Um, this deck I'm a little nervous about, because I think it struggles, not as badly as Hardened Scales does, but, you know, Karn is still a good card against you. Um, one thing about Urza is that it allows you to use your artifacts to generate mana, and you can still use Urza's ability, because all, all of the activated abilities are on Urza himself as opposed to, you know, grafted onto your artifacts. So you can still make mana and use Urza's ability and Urza just makes really big creatures. So you can sometimes beat a Karn that way, but yeah, it's still it's still a problematic card to play against. If if I expect Karn to be really really popular, I don't think I want to play Urza.
0: All right, speaking of Karn, Eldrazi Tron, a deck that we discussed a little bit right at the top of this format. Uh, I guess we've we've kind of discussed some of the other some of the reasons that that kind of strategy would be good, uh, Chalice and Karn and, and such, uh, being compelling. What do you think the chances are that you'll play Eldrazi Tron, and, and if so, what are the the main things like? What what are the factors that will affect whether or not you play Eldrazi Tron? Is is this just kind of the deck that you'll fall back on if none of these other experimental things listed above end up uh, seeming promising?
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at. I would prefer to not play Eldrazi Tron because I think it's not going to be fooling anyone i think people are going to be pretty prepared for it um but it is a powerful deck i believe they haven't actually posted the list yet but i believe there was a uh, there was a modern magic online championship series qualifier this last weekend and i believe both of the eight no decks were were eldrazi tron so you know it's very much on people's radars right now um but i've also just been pretty impressed with it when i've played it uh the one thing I think I would do differently than what it seems like most pilots do is I would play a decent amount of Mindstones because I think just turn two Mindstone turn three Karn in hands where you don't have Tron is is really powerful. Um, but this deck benefits a ton from the London Mulligan as you know as normal Tron did as well, and I think just picked up some nice new tools. Chalice being good in the format again is is a great place for it to be. Humans is a little bit on the downswing, although. I still do expect humans to be maybe the second most popular deck, maybe the third, somewhere in that range. Um, so, and I, I, that I think is not a great matchup for, for Eldrazi Tron. And you have so, like
0: Arclight Phoenix is first more popular.
1: Yeah. My, my expectation right now, which could change is that Phoenix will be the most popular humans will be sort of the humans and, and some kind of Tron, maybe Eldrazi, maybe regular, Will be the next most popular, and then everything else will sort of be a little ways back from that. Yeah, that's, don't expect that's to see kind like of
0: like a huge Jund resurgence with uh, Ren and Six, necessarily. No,
1: I, I expect some Jund to show up, some Blue White. You know, the way that Modern is structured, there's all these decks that make up like three to five percent of the meta game, and I expect them all to show up and be three to five percent of the meta game, just as they just as they always are. So, I want to probably do something. You'll you'll notice a a commonality among these decks is that they are all incredibly proactive. Like if left to their own devices, they all kill you and pretty fast. Yeah, and so, they're
0: either they're either like the ones the the slower ones on this list are disruptive and the faster ones are very fast.
1: Yeah. So that's that's kind of what I'm looking to do. I'm I think I'm pretty unlikely to want to play something like blue-white control even though I think I got it got a lot of new tools. I just think that uh, it, it's not—it's so hard to to cover all of your bases in a format like this and and feel confident about how, about where your deck is positioned. That I think it's unlikely I end up playing something too reactive like that.
0: I, I think there are a lot of people who try not to be caught playing that kind of deck, uh, especially at the pro tour level in modern. So I think yeah, it's
1: it, it's so it's so tough in modern to predict the format and you know get. Get your control deck right, and you just you hate to be playing the
0: deck in the room that's going to accumulate draws as well uh, in this format.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true as well. You want to you want to be able to close out the games quickly, and when other people, I, I I like that when other people stumble, these decks are really good at punishing them. You know, they they end the game really fast.
0: Yes, yeah, they, they, they multiple of these decks have turn two kills right um, available to them. Uh I mean I guess only the Leyline deck really has the, the turn two kill, but a lot of these decks have pretty checkmate-y turn twos if uh if if they do their thing.
1: Yeah, that that sounds, that's how I would characterize it. Like I guess Hogak technically can kill on turn two if you have some really nutty like turn one Stitcher Supplier, turn two like go off exactly perfectly with, with Alter maybe can kill on turn two. I don't know. That probably but uses anyway. all your cards
0: though, yeah. It's it's not like Leyline's five card uh kill
1: uh no I, don't, I think it doesn't it well it's more about what you hit with the citrus supplier right like if you go turn one supplier into triple blood ghast turn okay. two <laughs> yeah, altar okay. sack two of the blood ghasts to get back to like get some stuff and then play a hogak from your graveyard sack it do something else get venge back like you know things the stars align perfectly i think you can cobble together a turn two kill somehow but uh, it's yeah, not sure. realistic in the way that it is with Leyline, though Right, but you can also—I mean—the the the Hogak deck can definitely turn two, return two Vengevines, and have a Hogak in play. And right, you know, that's that's more of the situation I was talking
0: about. Yeah, is the the turn yeah. two checkmate there? Uh, although, right. if you are playing against another proactive goldfishing deck like Neoform or whatever, you could die
1: before actually killing them in that spot. Yeah, definitely. That that's definitely a part of the range.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, So this is, you know, the the deck that you've been working on most of these has been the Leyline thing, or is that the Matt Nassa special?
1: Yeah, I'd say Matt's been working on that more, but I've I've been offering some input. One of the things that we've added uh, is a single copy of Hexdrinker as a card that is pretty good to get when you have, like, not infinite, but a lot of mana. Okay. You know, if you <laughs> yeah. have like a ley line draw that doesn't that doesn't go infinite and you draw your finale of Devastation, it's pretty nice to be able to just like, oh, tutor up a hex drinker, make it pro everything, kill you over two turns, is is a very reasonable line. So, you know, we're we're trying out some sort of more fair stuff like that. Shalai is another one that we've been trying out uh, as a as a good mana sink that also helps protect you to some extent against some of the combo decks, it can be good.
0: This is actually very reminiscent of the the Malera
1: pod like four drop five drop mid range thing. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, you have all this mana, so just finding cards that don't suck to draw when you happen to happen to have all this mana, uh, but not quite infinite, is, is I think a really important part of the thing. Awesome, yeah. Any any deck that I
0: can squint at and see Malirepod is one that I also <laughs> am attracted to playing. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, um, cool. How about how about uh, you know you're, you're 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 testing with Benjamin this uh, this pro tour, right? Yes. Do you know what he's been up to? What he's been thinking about? Do you want to you know we we obviously we did a card of the week for him. Do you want to add his input on anything here? Anything that he's said about any of these decks?
1: Uh, I know he's worked a bunch on various Unearthed decks. He was trying out. You know, unearth uh, lightning skeletal, unearth dreadhorde Arcanist, unearth goblin rabble master, monastery mentor, uh, a bunch of stuff like that, which he said is okay, but you know he's not sure that it's busted, and there's a lot of opportunity for busted here. Um, he's, I know he he played mono red phoenix at the last grand prix and liked it a lot, um, but I don't know I don't know how likely he is to run that back. There's definitely room for improvement there and it got a lot of new cards but it's it's i think one of the strengths of that deck was it was very good against hogak because hogak's creatures are so bad at blocking that any of the one mana um prowess guys were just likely to deal a bajillion damage Mm -hmm. and that is a lot less true now um so that that's probably out of the running and then he's also been working a little bit on bring to light scapeshift uh with a snow package in there to to play ice fan quaddle, I think that's gotten you know it's an interesting strategy that has gotten some new cards to ferry time ravelers decent in that deck um force of negations a card you can play, but
0: interesting, yeah, it sounds a little uh a little clunky and and big,
1: yeah, I'm pretty skeptical of it in a format where people are killing as quickly as they can so I don't know. I, I I think I would say it's. I think it's pretty likely that Ben and I end up playing the same deck for this Pro Tour, as we actually as we have for the last t- bunch of Pro Tours. I think. Um, I think that's most likely what's going to happen. Awesome. Well, we will be back next week to talk with both of you
0: about exactly that. Uh, depending on how well you do in the tournament, we'll make that the main topic. Or if both of you, you know, scrub out super hard, we'll have to come up with something else to talk about. So. Uh, that'll be that'll be the plan for next week, but I think that about does it here for our main topic this week. This has been a really cool little uh, little survey of the of the decks you've been considering, and uh, I'm excited to see what you end up choosing to play. I'm sure we can f- uh, see on Twitter those sorts of updates on that, and hopefully on coverage on the stream. Uh, but why don't we end it today with an end story here? Uh, coming from you. Uh, take it away.
1: Okay, so this story uh, comes to us courtesy of my grandfather, who is. I think he just turned 90, so he. But he's pretty with it for a 90-year-old. Like he runs his own website uh, detailing he, the high school sports in his local town, and you know he he like updates it and does all the coding for it himself. Uh, so he's a, a pretty a pretty hip 90-year-old. But he was having a conversation with my uncle, whose name is Ken, and he was asking him how smart do you think my dad and my other uncle are, and my grandpa in in. With complete earnestness, he did not mean this in a mean-spirited way at all, turns to Ken and goes, well, if you're a zero, (laughs) and then obviously was unable to finish because we all just started laughing so much that that was his baseline was you're starting at a zero and then, you know, trying to evaluate the other people from there. (laughs) And he he didn't mean it. He he definitely did not mean it in a mean way at all. He was just being completely sincere, and that was the that was the place that his brain started. Was all right. You're a zero, so we'll put them on the scale from there. that, that is a bizarre starting. Point. Was he going to go negative if they were dumber than him? I do not
0: think he was planning to go negative. <laughs> okay, well that is going to be all for us this week. We will unite again next week for more alliance strategies.
1: Have you ever played the game Spirit Island? I have not, no. Is it awesome? It's pretty fun. It's a cooperative... Uh, it's very similar. It was it was intended to be very similar to Magic, and is in a lot of ways, um, but also is a board game. And, like, you play as... the as a variety of spirits on this island, repelling... Um, repelling invaders. So, like... You play against either like the British Empire, the Prussians, the French, or whatever, and you you marshal the forces of this small island with poor technology but spiritual powers against the the colonial invaders. Ooh, that sounds awesome. And it deftly solves the. Uh, I I I didn't know this, but my coworker had played it. So I was talking to him about it today at work, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I, I play tested that game. I know the guy who made it. Um, originally, there was a rule where the players were not allowed to communicate with each other in any language that the other one spoke. <laughs> so like you could grunt and gesture and do things like that to try to convey the like spirits that aren't really necessarily allied, but are allied against this force thing." And he said after the first game, he was like, yeah, this game is so complicated that you don't need that rule to prevent people from helping each other, (laughs) which like it did really solve that. You know, that, that is like a problem with co-op games often where like the best player just plays all the hands.
0: Right. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things I hate about most cooperative games is that they are effectively single player. You definitely could not do that with this game because it was so complicated